Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, the Republicans are up to their usual perfidious... I'm lacking words. <laughs> it's just, it's reached that point. It's like I'm running out of adjectives to describe the Trump administration and the Republican Party as... We just saw another unemployment report, the, the, you know, these weekly unemployment reports. This one wasn't the seven, eight hundred thousand new people filing for unemployment. It was over a million. We are sliding, you know, as we're going right into the jaws of the third wave of this or the, the second big wave nationally of this uh, pandemic here in the United States as a result of Donald Trump and Kristi Noem and a bunch of other Republicans actively encouraging people to get infected. Kristi Noem inviting 500, you know, half a million bikers to South Dakota so that they could all infect each other and then spread back out all across the United States. That was probably the number one super spreader event in the United States. And then Donald Trump holding rallies, maskless rallies all over the country. And we see now the maps, at, you know, in the counties and areas around those rallies and, and the virus just spreading out from there. So, and we now learn also from internal emails within the Trump administration that this was actually their policy to try and get as many people as infected as possible. Somehow they completely missed the fact that, yeah, one or two or three percent of people die, depending on whose numbers you're looking at, when in the pandemic it was, and, and whether you're talking rural hospitals or big city hospitals. But... Nobody seems to be accounting for the fact that large percentages of people, even who are asymptomatic, but particularly people who have, quote, mild cases of COVID, end up with what may well be lifelong heart damage, strokes, uh, dementia, cognitive dysfunction, mental illness, 
amputated limbs. I mean, it just goes on and on, the horror stories associated with this disease. And these people now have pre-existing conditions at the very time that the Trump administration and Republicans are refusing to t- even talk about, I mean, you know, they're still trying to kill Obamacare, much less talk about uh, single-payer health care or, uh, you know, Medicare for all. Uh, it, it's just mind-boggling. And, and now we discover that, you know, Pfizer has millions and millions of doses of vaccines sitting in their warehouse that the federal government already bought and paid for. We bought and paid for 100 million doses. They shipped 2.9 million doses. There's tens of millions of doses still sitting in their warehouse, and the Trump administration is saying, <laughs> just leave them there. We're not going to tell you where to send them. And then people are speculating all over the Internet that, that you know, the reason that the Trump administration is saying this is because Donald Trump and his family own a whole pile of Moderna stock. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not sure anybody knows could just be stupidity, could just be incompetence. It could be that they still are doubling down on herd immunity. God only knows, but that's happening. But at the same time that that's happening, the Republicans and Mitch McConnell in particular, here's the deal. Let me just give you a little backstory on this, just a little bit of background. The Fed, the the Federal Reserve Bank, the Fed, began Earlier this year, in fact, I believe they began it in April. I'd have to go back and look, but it was around that time. It was, early, it was in the spring. The Fed began doing something that they had never before done in their history and that there are some people who are Fed watchers, and we've had this conversation on this program with a couple of different people since April, who are saying, you know, it's not even legal. It's not part of the Fed's charter. But what they have been doing is buying corporate bonds, in other words, corporate debt. In other words, they're loaning money to giant publicly traded corporations by buying their bonds. They're loaning them money, which is driving down the interest rate that big corporations need to to borrow money at so that it makes it easier for big companies to get cheap, cheap money, which uh, it, it turns out a lot of these big companies are using to pay huge bonuses to their directors and their CEOs and dividend checks to, to their stockholders. Very, very few of these companies are using this money to help their employees, but nonetheless, The Fed is buying the the bonds and the Fed is buying stocks in the stock market. Something, again, the Fed has never done. Fed was created in 1913. It's never done this before. And there's a debate about whether it's even legal. But the consequence of their doing this, what came out of the Fed buying, you know, buying corporate bonds, loaning trillion, they, they, they created out of thin air $7 trillion. And they're buying trillions of dollars worth of, of corporate debt to keep these big companies afloat. You know, the airlines, the big retailers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out, you know, <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. Uh, you know, how it's, it's going to right-wing churches and weird stuff like that. But, but anyhow, so the Fed is buying the corporate bonds and the Fed is buying stocks. And, and with the $7 trillion friggin' dollars. And the consequence of buying stocks and bonds, corporate stocks and bonds for publicly traded companies has been that the stock market, which initially began to collapse in March as, as you know, the country shut down, the stock market did a U-turn and went back up again. And right now the stock market is at all-time highs. Why? Because the Fed is propping it up. So with that understanding, with that backstory, here's what Mitch McConnell and the, and the Republicans in the Senate and some in the House are now demanding. They are demanding that if the Democrats want to give COVID relief to average working people and unemployed people, if, they, if you want to give everybody in the country 1200 bucks, 
and you want to give everybody in the country who is on unemployment, if you want to extend their benefits beyond the end of the year when they're all they're going to expire, and you might even want to add 300 bucks or 600 bucks a month to them, if you want to do that, the price to do that, Democrats, is that you've got to stop the Fed from buying corporate bonds and stocks. Now, what happens, and by the way, you've got to stop the Fed from doing that right after January 20th. Now, what happens on January 20th? Joe Biden gets inaugurated. And if they can stop the Fed from buying box, bonds and stocks and force them to start selling the bonds and stocks that they hold right after January 20th, what's going to happen to the stock market? It's going to go from 30000 down to 7000 It's There's going to be a stock market collapse that will make 1929 look like a friggin' picnic. And who's going to get blamed for it by the average American who has no idea that the Fed has been propping up the market all this time, that it's not Donald Trump's brilliance? They're going to say, oh, God, Joe Biden comes into office and look what happens to the market. The bottom falls out. This is what they're doing. This is a calculated political move by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to essentially, uh, you know, saw a leg off Joe Biden's presidency. So that's number one. <laughs> There's so much news. Number two, we've got hacks. Why are, why are we being hacked by the Russians, apparently? Well, could it have something to do with Donald Trump uh, saying nothing during that this time? Or back in 2002 program. with George W. Bush privatizing all our security with SolarWinds, whose password is SolarWinds123? So for our Tom Harbin Insider video that's available over at TomHarbin.com, I'm talking about Donald Trump just completely giving in to Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, the dictator of Turkey now, and this theory that Jared Kushner okayed the killing, at least the capture, perhaps the killing of Jamal Khashoggi to Mohammed bin Salman, and that Erdogan has the tape of it and that when he called up Donald Trump and said, I want you to pull out of Syria and give me those Kurds so I can kill them and take that land, that he did it because Erdogan threatened him. And then Erdogan comes to the United States a week or two later and gets a whole state dinner thing. Check it all out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I, I just I want to dig into some of the news here and then I'll pick up your phone calls. The Pentagon is in shock, as is the rest of the country, because the Trump administration ordered the Pentagon to stop coordinating with Joe Biden on the transition with the Biden team, which raises all kinds of questions. You know, there's a simple explanation, a possible simple explanation, a possible more complex explanation, and a possible insanely treasonous explanation. The simple explanation is that Donald Trump is still tweeting. He threatened Mitch McConnell tweeting about the election. He said to Mitch McConnell, if you don't hold a special session, if you don't refuse to, be, you know, I mean, he didn't lay it out specifically like this, but, the, but it was implicit in his tweet. If you don't, you know, take 
alternate slates of electors, or if you don't throw this thing to the House of Representatives per the 12th Amendment, then I'm going to destroy the Republican Party. That's essentially what he says. You can read his tweet. It's on Twitter. He said, there will be no Republican Party left. So he's threatening McConnell. So it's possible that Trump simply turned to the people around him in the White House, including the liaisons with the Pentagon, and said, I'm going to stay president. I'm going to force Mitch McConnell to make this happen. So you can stop coordinating with Joe Biden because he's not coming in. I'm going to stay here. Now that's one possibility, theory number one. The second theory is that he's simply trying to sabotage the incoming Biden administration. He's doing absolutely everything he can, even though it means harming this country during a time of national crisis, unlike anything we've seen since World War II or the flu epidemic in 1918. He's explicitly willing to damage our country and our national security in exchange for getting vengeance on Joe Biden for beating him in the election. The third possibility is that some foreign government, or multiple foreign governments, the Russians, the Saudis, the Chinese, I mean, who knows who else Donald Trump owes money to, Turkey and Erdogan, would love to see the, Ameri the United States all screwed up. They'd love to see us fail. They'd love to see our military falling apart. The third possibility is that he's intentionally sabotaging the Pentagon because that's what he's been doing for four years intentionally sabotaging the United States on behalf of foreign governments. The more aggressively Donald Trump can question or even end democracy in the United States, the happier a whole bunch of other nations that he's very close to who hate democracy will be. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tom Harmon University Book Club. 
Today we're reading from ADHD and the Edison gene, a drug-free approach to managing the unique qualities of your child. This is from the introduction. I was in India in 1993 to help manage a community for orphans and blind children on behalf of a German charity. During the monsoon season, the week of the big Hyderabad earthquake, I took an all-day train ride almost all the way across the subcontinent from Bombay through Hyderabad to Rajamundri to visit an obscure town near the Bay of Bengal. In the train compartment with me were several Indian businessmen and a physician, and we had plenty of time to talk as the country flew by from sunrise to sunset. Curious about how they viewed our children diagnosed as having Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, I asked, are you familiar with those types of people who seem to crave stimulation yet have a hard time staying with any one focus for a period of time? They may hop from career to career and sometimes even from relationship to relationship, never seeming to settle into one job or into a life with one person, but the whole time they remain creative, incredibly creative and inventive. Ah, we know this type well, one of the men said, the other three nodding in agreement. Well, what do you call this personality type, I, call, I asked them. Very holy, he said. These are old souls near the end of their karmic cycle. Again, the other three nodded agreement, perhaps a big more, bit more vigorously in response to my startled look. Old souls, I questioned, thinking that a very odd description for some those who uh, American psychiatrists have diagnosed as having a particular disorder. Oh, yes, the physician said. In our religion, we believe that the purpose of reincarnation is to eventually free oneself from worldly entanglement and desire. In each lifetime, we experience certain lessons, and finally we are free of this earth and can merge into the oneness of God. When a soul is very close to the end of those thousands of incarnations, he must take a few lifetimes to do many, many things, to clean up all the little threads left over from his previous lifetimes. Another businessman added, this is a man very close to being enlightened. We have great respect for such individuals, although their lives may be difficult. Another businessman raised a finger and interjected, but it is through the difficulties of such lives the souls are purified. The others nodded agreement. I said, in America, they consider this behavior indicative of a psychiatric disorder. All three looked startled and then laughed. In America, you consider our most holy men, our yogis and swamis, to be crazy people as well, said the physician, with a touch of sadness in his voice. So it is with different cultures. We live in different worlds. We in the Western world have such holy and nearly enlightened people among us, and we say they must be mad. But as we're about to see, they may instead be our most creative individual, our most extraordinary thinkers, our most brilliant inventors and pioneers. The children among us, whom our teachers and psychiatrists say are disordered, they may in fact carry a set of abilities, a skill set, that was necessary for the survival of humankind in the past. It has created much of what we presently treasure as our quality of life, and that will be critical to the survival of the human race in the future. There is immense power in how we choose to view what's happening around us. And this is terrifically important when we consider how we can best know our children and provide them with the upbringing they need, an upbringing that will lead them to be healthy, happy, functioning adults. The premise of this book is that children who have what we have come to know as ADHD are important and vital gifts to our society and culture, and in the largest sense can be an extraordinary gift to the world. In addition, for those adults who have been similarly diagnosed or defined, this book offers a new way of understanding themselves and their relationship to the world, a way that brings insight, empowerment, and success.
The long history of the human race, as we'll see in this book, has conferred on us, some more than others, a set of predilections, temperaments, and abilities carried through the medium of our genetic makeup. These skills are ideally suited to life in the ever-changing world of our ancient ancestors, and we have now discovered are also ideally suited to the quickly changing modern world of cyberspace and widespread ecological and political crises that require rapid response. I will call this genetic gift the Edison gene, after Thomas Edison, who brought us electric lights and phonographs and movies and literally 10,000 other inventions. He is the model for the sort of impact a well-nurtured child carrying this gene can have on the world. While I'm principally referring to the DRD4 gene, see Chapter 5, the science of genetics is embryonic, with new discoveries being made every day. No doubt, sometime soon, we'll have a better, more complete list of the specific genes that make up what Dave DeBroncart first called the Edison trait back in 1992, and Lucy Jo Palladino expanded on considerably in 1997 in her wonderful book, The Edison Trait. For the moment, though, I'll use the useful shorthand of the Edison gene. When Thomas Edison's schoolteacher threw him out of school in the third grade for being fidgety, slow, and inattentive, his mother, Nancy Edison, the well-educated daughter of a Presbyterian minister, was deeply offended by the schoolmaster's characterization of her son. As a result, she pulled him out of school, and she became his teacher from then until the day he went off to work on his own for the railroads. And thus continues the story of people with ADHD and great success and how you can help your child be like that. Barbara in Sun City, Arizona. What's up, Barbara? Hi. Well, something that makes me crazy is why are we so incredulous about what people like Ron Johnson are doing when they decided in 2018 that uh, going for July 4th holiday, eight senators went to Moscow. Now, we don't know what they yes. did other than do take pictures, but I'm sure the Russians do. You know, we go, we don't know what they're doing, but the Russians know. <laughs> Yeah, that's why they're. I, you know, I my, you know at the time it was just portrayed as a basically a junket. You know, members of Congress do this all the time. They get the taxpayer to pay for them to go to some place that they've always wanted to see, uh, kind of thing. But it, it you know, given uh, Trump's relationship with Trump Tower Moscow and his you know secret meetings with Putin and all this other kind of stuff, it does raise questions. Well, it, it, Ron Johnson is the most outspoken anti-Biden senator. To the well, he's also of, in charge of the committee that's in charge of national security in the Senate. Right, exactly. I mean, the whole thing just stinks. It's been stinking for years, and nobody's looking at it. I mean, it's like, let's get our reality glasses on, and, you know, why in the world would these eight Republican senators, if it was really a junket, it would have been bipartisan. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Barbara, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's something that somebody needs to be looking into. Russell in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Russell, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I think we're missing a, uh, an opportunity again with this whole thing with the Republicans going on and on about voter irregularities. Um, mm -hmm. We should join them and say, yes, we want to get rid of all voting irregularities. So what we're uh, uh, proposing is paper, paper ballots from here on. Uh, a national voting holiday, and all the other things that we can make our elections totally transparent. And if they're really on board, 
then it would be great. We'd get it done. And if they were to balk at all, then we would say, see, once again, the Republicans want something done, but we're trying to get it done. And then they, you know, they put the kibosh to it. What do you think? Russell, we already proposed that. The very first piece of legislation that passed the U.S. House of Representatives, H.R. 1, not only provided for strengthening election security and hardening our election infrastructure from you know, external or even internal hacking, but also provided money and means for every state to, if they want, to go entirely vote by mail or certainly to wildly expand their absentee ballot access you know, where people can vote by mail and created some national standards for it. It went to the House of Representatives in uh, January of a year and a half ago, two years ago, now almost, almost now, and maybe February, but it was literally the first piece of legislation that passed the House. I believe it was at the end of January of last year. And uh, Mitch McConnell has refused to even allow a committee to consider talking about it. That should tell you everything right now, you know they have about their pa- the GOP. Right now, when they have their panties in a bunch and they're just going on and on about all this, this would be our perfect opportunity to say, okay, let's put up or shut up. You know, you people really want us done, and then we, we should adopt I'm, that. I'm bill. with you. And, and, and the difference, you know, there, there's two different issues here, Russell, and, and, and I think you're pointing one out and I'm pointing the other out. The one that I've been pointing out is, yes, the Democrats already did this. They tried to solve this problem. But what you're pointing out is nobody knows that. The Democrats have not been messaging that. They've not been yelling and screaming, okay, yes, we agree. We have problems with elections in the United States. Let's fix them. We propose legislation to do it. We'd be glad to rewrite it with you. Let's do it out in the open. Let's hold public hearings. Let's make this happen. That is not going to happen as long as the Republicans are in control of the United States Senate. There's going to be no hearings there. I mean, look at what happened with Ron Johnson trying to do his, his little dog and pony show. But it could right. be happening in the House, and, and frankly, I think it should be. And when Biden becomes president, I am very hopeful that he's using his bully pulpit on a weekly basis at the very least, and perhaps on a daily or occasional, you know, several times a week basis, to, you know, the way, not the, specifically the way Trump, you know, is tweeting 20 times a day, but, but we need to hear from the president. If Barack Obama, every single day that Mitch McConnell had refused to even hold a hearing on Merrick Garland, if Barack Obama had raised holy hell every single day, I don't think Mitch McConnell could have withstood that for eight months. But because Obama thought, well, I'll just be a good Democrat and we'll just be kind of quiet and we'll do the right thing in the background. Um, You know, McConnell just rolled right over him. And we can't, the Democratic Party cannot do that anymore. We've got to stop that. Russell, thank you for the call. Mike in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Hey, Mike, what's up? Hi, Tom. I spent the first 28 years of my life in Kansas. And when things come up in the media about it, 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 I pricked my ears up. Last Saturday, USA Today had an article that said, what is the, the most deadly place in the country for COVID? And that's Gove County, Kansas, a county with like 2,600 people. And, I, and if I've done my, my calculations right, they've killed off 5% of their population. Also, the mayor of God City wanted to do a, a mask mandate. Right, she had to resign over she that. Had, yep, she resigned over that. And there's an AP article in the Denver Post that the COVID outbreak in the Kansas State prison in Lansing is second only to South Dakota. And right. I want to say this is this is not this is not the Kansas that I grew up in, and it really pisses me off. But there's really yeah. nothing I can do about it. 
Yeah, I totally get it, Mike. And, and this all goes back to Donald Trump thinking back in March, April, that if most of the damage that this virus does is in blue states, and back then it was New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, and if most of the people who are dying are black or Hispanic, and that was the case mm -hmm. back in April when, when Donald Trump made this decision, then if then our imperative, if I'm going to get myself reelected, we've got to get the economy back in shape. Keep in mind, the, the month before in right. March, the stock market had fallen. So we've right. got to get the economy back in shape if I'm going to get myself reelected. So we have to pretend like there's no virus and just get people out there going back to work to keep the economy going so I can get myself reelected. And he held that right. position through the entire friggin year. And as a result, we have 300,000 dead Americans. We have 17 million Americans who have been infected severely enough that they've showed symptoms enough that they've gone to get themselves tested. There's probably 30 million Americans who, who have been infected or more. Uh, you know, half of them don't know it because they were entirely asymptomatic throughout their infection. And out of those 30 million Americans who have been infected, there's probably somewhere between three and 10 million Americans who are going to suffer long-term consequences and be disabled to varying degrees and have a pre-existing, and, and all 30 million of them now have a pre-existing condition should Trump and the Republicans succeed in completely destroying the Affordable Care Act. Um, Mike, but, I, I, well, I hear the pain in your voice about, the, about the, the state that you were born and grew up in. I would feel the same way if this was going on in Michigan. Thank God Gretchen Whitmer is there. But I, I spent the first 27 you know, years of my life in Michigan, and I, I totally uh, you're, get it. You're, I, I thank your, your screen for articulating what I was trying to say. These are, these are the true believers. These are the Trump fantasies, and they are willing to, to die for him. Yeah. And they, and they don't got, realize that he's asking them to die for him to get, so that he can get reelected and the election's right. over. I mean, it's like he, right. he, still, he, can't, he can't stop the rhetoric now. He's taken a rhetorical position that, that uh, first of all, that there is no virus, it's not a big deal, just go back to work. And then secondly, when it became too big to ignore, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing we can do about it. We need to do herd, herd right. immunity. Every, get everybody infected, as many people as possible. That'll take care of it. And, yep. you know, both were just insane, just absolutely insane, both policies. But he, those are the two policies he's pursued. This is going to go down in history as not just the worst public health disaster in the history of the United States, but the biggest betrayal of the American people by any president. I mean, this is like Franklin Roosevelt saying after Pearl Harbor, yeah, hey, only, only 4,000 people died, 4,004 people died. Why should we care? This is like George W. Bush after 9-11 saying, you know, it wasn't even 3,000 people who died. It was 2,999. Come on, we lose more people than that to cancer every day. What's everybody so upset about? I mean, this is, you know, it's like Abraham Lincoln saying, well, yeah, General Lee took a city, so what? I mean, it's, this, is, this, this is insane. It is a betrayal of this country. And, and not to mention, yep. you know, destroying the lives so far of 300,000 families who have lost their loved ones and millions of families whose breadwinners, who, whose principal income earners, will probably no longer be able to earn an income because they're disabled by this disease. Mike, thank you for the call. I, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear what's happening in the state where you were born. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
On this week's Science Revolution, Vien Trong with Tom Steyer's Climate Justice joins the show with a vision for a green, red, and blue climate new deal. That vision includes Native Americans, a blue new deal for our threatened oceans, and a green new deal for our coastal communities. Dr. Michael Greger joins us. Have you gained a few COVID pounds in his new How Not to Diet cookbook? Dr. Greger tells how you can eat your way to a healthy, sustainable weight with plant-based meals. Terry Mills, president of the National Nursing Network, drops by on why a national nurse for public health is important. Plus, Laura Packard, the founder of Healthcare Voices, explains open enrollment under the ACA to help the 16-plus million uninsured Americans get themselves enrolled. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We will, uh, I'll be getting back to your phone calls in just a few minutes, but there's a couple things I wanted to share with you first. Uh, the, at the top of the list is that there is an, a new article out in The Nation magazine, or at least on The Nation magazine's website, thenation.com. And it's uh, titled, Talk Radio, Democrats Can't Win If They Don't Play. And it, it's, it's by a guy you might be familiar with, me. <laughs> the subhead is the vast right-wing talk show network across the United States. It has enormous political sway, and Republican politicians know and embrace it. And, you know, a lot of it is stuff that you've heard from me before. And so I, I'm not going to, you know, exhaustively go through it again, um, other than to point out that Politics is a game that is typically played in terms of winning and losing elections on the margins. It's around the edges. If you can shave two or three points off your opponent by, say, for example, uh, putting so few voting machines in your opponent's neighborhoods that people have to stand in line for eight hours to vote, if that can discourage just one or two or three percent of the people from voting or cause them to quit the line and have to go back to work, you can win an election. Well, similar, and, and of course, we all know this has been, you know, a major Republican strategy for the better part of 40 years now to make it in particularly in, in black neighborhoods, in Hispanic neighborhoods, in uh, communities where you've got a lot of students, 
and in, in communities where there are a lot of very elderly people who might be voting Social Security and Medicare, typically Democratic issues. And uh, so, you know, that's what Republican voter suppression is all about. But the other main strategy that the Republican Party has been using in a big way since the mid-1990s, and Newt Gingrich was a real pioneer in this, in using talk radio this way, is talk radio is right-wing talk radio all across the United States. There is literally not any part of the United States with any population of any consequence. I mean, you might have on on some mountaintop in Utah where you can, well, even there, you know, you can get a radio signal. I, 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 I genuinely believe there's no place in America where you cannot just turn on your car radio and tune across the dial and find right wing hate radio. On the other hand, if you want progressive talk radio, if you want to hear, you know, conversation about the issues from the point of view of the Democratic Party or from the from the point of view of, of progressives, good luck. I mean, you know, there's some there's some great stations in this country, but they are not in every city. They're not even in every blue state. We have entire blue states with no progressive radio stations. Sirius XM, uh, the Progress Channel, God bless them. I mean, they're holding the fort here. And and I know, you know, many of you, a large, large percentage of you are listening to me right now on Sirius XM. And we are so grateful for that clearance. And, and, you know, and and Sirius XM has been expanding this now with their, you know, they've got an app and you can listen to them on the web and you don't have to have a satellite receiver anymore unless you want it in your car. And if you have it in your car, of course, you can literally drive from coast to coast and never, never lose the signal. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. But with, with conservative talk radio, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And if the Republican Party had to rent, they call it lease actually in the industry, but if they had to rent all the right-wing radio stations in America that run 24-7 right-wing talk radio. And in many cities, well, here in Portland, we've got three different right-wing stations. And they're big signals. In fact, the biggest signal in the state is a right-wing station. And so, you know, if, if those, if the Republican Party had to actually rent that time, it would cost them $5 billion a year. Now, the Democratic Party has stations, as I said, you know, in a, in, a, in, in a few cities, we've got, you know, we're growing and we've got a lot of nonprofit stations that are that are popping up and, and Pacifica stations that are that are picking up more and more progressive talk and and that kind of thing. But but by and large, it's been right wing media and it's been right wing media, not because there's not an audience for left wing talk. People say, well, when the article came out, in fact, I had a number of people on Twitter going, yeah, but America failed. Well. Let's see. Air America was on 54 stations that they were renting or leasing or that they had cooperative barter agreements with, with Clear Channel, what was then called the Clear Channel Radio Network. Clear Channel has over 800 radio stations all across the country. Mitt Romney's Bain Capital bought Clear Channel. Clear Channel then started dropping progressive talk from their stations all across the country. And surprise, surprise, in five years, Clear Channel was $17 million in debt. That was their bankruptcy, $17 million. Now, to put that in context, the first year that Rupert Murdoch ran Fox News, he lost $100 million. 
The second year that he ran Fox News, he lost $80 million. And according to Brit Hume, it was five years before he made $1 on Fox News. He lost several hundred million dollars. Air America went bankrupt on $17 million. And much of that, yes, there was some, you know, incompetent management. I'll give you that. Uh, Randy Rhodes and I were yelling about it at the time. Um, but by and large, when you start losing radio stations and you depend on advertising revenue to stay in business, I mean, you know, Mitt Romney killed the network, you could say. Now, that, that certainly wasn't the only thing that was going on, but... You know, I've told you the story about meeting with the billionaire owner of one of the three big radio networks in the United States, over six, 700 radio stations, uh, a good chunk of them carrying right-wing radio. And, and, and I said to him, you know, would you put progressive radio on any of your stations? He had just bought the network that was syndicating my show. And he said, no, we're not going to put that on any of them. Zero. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well because I'm not going to put people on the air who say that my taxes should go up. And then another time, there was another uh, radio network, Salem Radio, that has Dennis Prager and, and uh, Hugh Hewitt on it. And I was sitting next to one of their senior executives at a talker's luncheon. This was maybe a decade ago. And I said, hey, you ever thought about putting progressives on? And he says, no, it hurt our brand. Plus, you know, we were, were a company that started out as a Bible publishing company. We only put real Christians on the air. And I'm like, I'm a real Christian. And he's like, no, you're not. You're a liberal. I mean, it wasn't that that's not a literal. Uh, this is my recollection of the conversation. I didn't write down every word he said. So that, but that was the essence of what he said. So this isn't about progressive talk radio can't work. We, we have stations. We've got a channel on Sirius XM. We've got stations around the country where it does work. It's just that, you know, basically since Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Act, you've got large swaths of the American radio infrastructure now owned by people who have right-wing agendas for various reasons. And what I'm saying is that Democrats need to start taking this seriously, that the Democratic Party should put together a talk radio caucus. I mean, talk radio is, is how Dave Bratt took down uh, Eric Cantor, the, the second or third most powerful politician in the House of Representatives, probably the, the fifth most powerful politician in the United States back in the day, that was talk radio that took him down. Talk radio was what killed the public option for Obamacare, right-wing talk radio, by getting Scott Brown elected, a guy who nobody thought had a chance. And I lay all this out in the article. You can find it over at thenation.com right now. It's called Talk Radio. Democrats can't win if they don't play. And, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to reach out to some of our wealthy donors and say, hey, why don't you invest in some radio stations? We have 1,500 right-wing radio stations in the United States. And probably fewer than 50 on the left. And, and a lot fewer than that if you're looking at commercial stations. And this is something that I, you know, I think this is a big issue. So anyhow, there's that. You don't have to call about that. I just wanted to, to flag it for you. I wanted to sensitize it to you. I'll share some of that with you on the other side of the break, and we'll pick up your phone calls. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You know, any of those topics. Give me a shot with you. Sure.
Share the Tom Hartman program with your friends. We're available on Sirius XM, Free Speech TV, Pacifica, commercial stations nationwide, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, on the Tom Hartman app, and you can even tell your smart speaker to listen to the Tom Hartman program. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Michael in Bangor, Maine. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon, Tom. I've been listening. And what I wanted to bring up with you, because it seems quite obvious to me, and I just want to get your comments on it. And it seems to me that the whole concept of the change that people on the left uh, are advocating can only be achieved in your minds, and when I say your minds, I'm not trying to say anything negative towards you. I'm just saying it seems to me that the only way that this is ever going to work is that you appoint planters, who Hayek always uh, identified as the socialist structure, and, uh, and use go- government coercion. And I'm wondering if you agree with that concept. No, I strongly disagree with it, Michael. I think that if we pulled the $600 billion a year, and actually I saw a report yesterday that suggested it's actually between seven and $800 billion a year, and that does not include our military subsidies to the fossil fuel industry for the transportation of fossil fuels to and from the United States. But if we were simply to pull that six to $800 billion a year in taxpayer dollars that you and I are giving to the fossil fuel industry, the fossil fuel industry tomorrow morning would become completely uncompetitive. Right now, wind power, solar power, and, and uh, geothermal power are all cheaper than producing electricity or any kind of locomotion using fossil fuels. Uh, SAS Airlines, uh, the Scandinavian Airlines, and, uh, and the country of Norway, and the country of Iceland are collaborating on a project. In two years, they're going to be rolling out electric airplanes, electric jets, actually. Um, you know, high altitude, air, high, high altitude, high performance aircraft. Just this week, there was announced, uh, Tesla in part did the announcement, um, a, uh, just a massive change in battery technology. Now, where they're going with all silicon anodes and, and uh, in, w- in one kind of new battery and another kind of new battery has uh, solid blocks of lithium uh, with them that increase the capacity of these batteries not doubling it, but increasing it by fivefold or tenfold, or in some cases thirtyfold, um, which which means that the electric car that you can buy right now for pretty much the same cost as a gasoline car, and it has a hell of a lot fewer moving parts, it'll last a lot longer. That right now will go 200 miles on a charge, could go a couple of thousand miles on a charge. Um, fossil fuels are no longer economically viable or sustainable; they simply aren't without these subsidies. So what your saying Hayek would be accusing me of is exactly what the fossil fuel industry and the Republican Party have been doing. Well, guess what? You're going to you're going to get an agreement out of a civil libertarian. uh, uh, I don't believe that as long as when you say eliminating the uh, uh, subsidies, you're talking about money being given by the feds. I'm not talking about, if you're implying that the subsidies are the tax breaks that they have, that's a different issue. But if they're getting... It's about 30% of it is tax breaks, about 70% of it is direct cash to them. They shouldn't get a nickel of it because that will force... I agree. 
I agree, and I don't think they should get tax breaks either. I think the oil depletion allowance is crazy. It was, it was okay, you drilled an oil well, and as you're taking oil out of it, it's going to reduce in value. So we're going to give you tax, uh, a tax break on all your other profits to compensate you for the loss of value because eventually that well is going to run dry. That's crazy. We don't do that in any other industry. I agree, but what, what I think would happen, and I just pose this to you, that get the government out of subsidizing uh, fossil fuels. They will then, th- these corporations, if they want to survive, are going to have to look at better ways to do what they have done traditionally. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get rid of fossil fuels in 10 minutes. It's not going to happen. But I, I absolutely believe in the notion that if it's a free market with no subsidies for any kind of free market enterprise, that market will work better than governmental structure and redistribution. Yeah. Generally speaking, I'm, I don't entirely disagree with you, Michael, where I think probably uh, I, I disagree with, uh, you know, some folks who are uh, so-called free market enthusiasts is that there really is no such thing as a free market. You know, markets are created by government. The rules of the marketplace are created by government. And you can't get away from that. Somebody has to define the rules. You have to have courts to enforce that, those rules. You have to have jails to put people like the Enron guys in jail when they break those rules. And, and a lot of the rules right now, in fact, the vast majority of the rules right now, are tilted in the direction of, of private ownership of our utilities and of subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. And I think that that, you know, that needs to change. And, and we know now that, that alternative energies are viable. I mean, Norway just said, you know, no more internal combustion engines. And it wasn't just because of fossil fuels. It's because internal combustion engines are, are creating somewhere between five and 10,000 cancers a year in Norway. No, I, it was 500 to 1,000 cancers in Norway. Norway is a small country. In the United States, it's five to 10,000. And, and uh, you know, they, they have a national health care system. They didn't want to have to pay for it. Michael, we'll, we'll uh, continue the conversation at another time. But thank you, you for the call. We'll be right back. to the Tom Hartman Program. On this week's Science Revolution, Vien Trong with Tom Steyer's Climate Justice joins the show with a vision for a green, red, and blue climate new deal. That vision includes Native Americans, a blue new deal for our threatened oceans, and a green new deal for our coastal communities. Dr. Michael Greger joins us. Have you gained a few COVID pounds in his new How Not to Diet cookbook? Dr. Greger tells how you can eat your way to a healthy, sustainable weight with plant-based meals. Terry Mills, president of the National Nursing Network, drops by on why a national nurse for public health is important. Plus, Laura Packard, the founder of Healthcare Voices, explains open enrollment under the ACA to help the 16 plus million uninsured Americans get themselves enrolled. Tune into the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Richard in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Yes, I'm in dialysis right now, so I hope I'm, uh, can you understand what I say, but I've read a book, scholarly book about Germany in the, as he came to power. And there was an overabundance of conservative radio versus liberal radio. You're so right. And not only that, that, there was, 
there was a program, I used to know the German name for it, but uh, it, it was n- not a radio show, but it was, this was radio stations all across the country. Um, people were encouraged to call in and on the air report their neighbors for disloyalty for not being loyal to Donald Trump, excuse me, to Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. And then when they reported their neighbors, uh, these roving ga- ba- bands and gangs of, of right-wing thugs would show up at their houses, drag them out of their houses, beat them up in the streets, uh, sometimes set their houses on fire. Um, this was a, a big part in the, in the mid-30s. This was 33, 34, 35. Yes. Yeah, Richard, thank you for the call. Thank you, thank you for that. In fact, that, you, you can, I, I learned that from uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, William Shearer's book, you know, the, the classic book on that. Tim in Westmore, Vermont. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I'm proposing that uh, somehow we reconfigure national public radio into a progressive talk radio format. It's a national, it's a national um, network of stations. They're in every city, every college town. Boy, I tell you, we could really jumpstart this quickly. Uh, the CPB, yeah. the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, hardly gives any more money to NPR, uh, thanks to Reagan and to Gingrich and others. And um, I, I think that NPR yeah, I, think, is, I think federal funds are now s- around 7% of their budget. Most correct. of it is, is raised locally. And, right, and uh, the, the problem that you have there, Tim, I, you know, I remember back, I, I believe it was in the 1980s. It might have been a little later than that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure my recollection is this is when Reagan was president that uh, NPR did, uh, they were doing, they used to do investigative reporting. And yes. I mean, they still do, but, but. Um, and they busted Archer's Daniel Midland for ADM for the biggest price fixing scheme in the history of the United States. It involved vitamin C, as I recall, which they were manufacturing, which is made out of corn. And uh, it cost, and ADM got hit with a $300 million fine, which back in the 80s was one of the largest fines any corporation had ever been hit with in history. Within a year, one of the main sponsors of NPR was ADM, Supermarket to the World. And, uh, and that, you know, and, and, and I remember hearing that thinking, okay, I wonder how much more investigative reporting we're going to hear that exposes corporate crime. You know, uh, you know, over the short term, this might be a great way to get these corporations to, to, to underwrite you. They, they don't call it advertising, but it's essentially the same thing. Um, uh, but over the long term, I don't think this will work for them. Uh, doing, being, you know, aggressive investigative journalists. And, and I think that uh, time has borne that out. Um, you know, we do. I do think that we need basic news across the country, and I think NPR in, in the radio sphere and the and CPB or public television, you know, on TV, um, provide that. And and God bless them. We we really do need just a good authoritative um, source of news. But that's a completely different thing from progressive talk radio. And that's true. Uh, that's there have true. been some, you know, there have been some local shows. When I lived in D.C., there was the Tavis Smiley show um, in D.C. And uh, Diane Reem used to have a show in D.C. She she didn't so much wear her politicians or her politics, excuse me, on her on her shoulder, but or on her arm. But uh, uh, Smiley did to a larger extent. Even those shows have largely been replaced by shows that are far more anodyne. I mean, Terry Gross, she does brilliant interviews, but very rarely does she touch on politics. So uh, talk radio 
right wing or left wing are really just a different animal. And I, I and I and I don't think that you know there's going to be an organized effort to take over the board of directors of of CPB or NPR any day soon. I was thinking it's a great opportunity to just jumpstart it quickly and just you know get back into it. It would be, but I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> it's, you know, but, you know, keep thinking. Keep thinking. Good thinking, Tim. Thank you. John in North Bend, Oregon. Hey, John, what's up? Oh, thank you for taking my call, Tom. I wanted to drop back on the subject of right-wing radio stations on mm-hmm. the AM. Down here in North Bend, which is a sister city to Coos Bay, we've had one of the only progressive radio stations in Oregon for years. It's 1340 KBBR. AM. Yeah, we've been on the air there for eight, 17 years, I think. I know. Follow you every year. Love your program. You're the light in the day. What I'm reporting is that they have now been taken over with both Newsmax and Fox News for their hourly news breaks. And so no we're getting this garbage. I mean, literally garbage, you know. Nancy Pelosi was seen at the airport without a mask and, you know stuff like mm-hmm. that. Anyway, right. I think they're being taken over by the right-wing media. But more well, it could be or it could be that somebody incentivized the station, the station management and ownership. I mean, I one of the things that I don't want to do, John, is be micromanaging or criticizing any of our affiliates. Um, right. you know, if an affiliate wants to carry right-wing content, God bless them. You know, I think that there should be a marketplace of ideas. And, well, and individual radio stations should do what they, what they think is the very best for themselves and for their markets. But I'm telling you, you know, progressive talk radio can work. John, thank you for the call. Larry in Chicago. Hey, Larry, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, perfect segue. I um, wanted to report to you some numbers because I'm an old, I'm 63 years old and I've been listening to radio since I could listen to Wally Phillips on WGN in Chicago. Um, just a quick wow. primer. You, just, just a quick primer. You're, you know, clear channel radio stations are 50,000 watts. And here in Chicago, because we're in the middle of the country with nothing but flat, flat land for uh, forever, um, WGN used to brag about uh, that they, at night they could skip across the ionosphere and reach two-thirds of the uh, uh, 38 states in the U.S. and a third of Canada. Now we've got six clear channel stations in Chicago. Two of them are owned by right-wing screamers. And WCPT is sitting there at AM 820. They are not clear channel. They turn up. They turn their transmitter up. They power up, and they are they're on one of the frequencies that is clear channel. So they have to give they have to give way at night. So they turn their transmitter down at sunset, and turn it up. Yeah, at it's sunrise. tough in the winter. Yeah, There's, and that that has to do with FCC licenses and and you know the value of radio stations and things like that. And again, these are kind of marketplace dynamics. Um, right. Uh, and you know, and and I'm I am so grateful to WCPT and and you know the the fellow who owns it uh, and the people who work there uh, because they have been in this for the long haul and they've been in it through some rough times and some good times and 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 God bless them. But you, you know you're, you're you're right that the some of the largest stations in the country are are, are blowing out right wing talk and it's not because it's necessarily the most profitable. Talk radio is talk radio. Uh, advertisers are advertisers, um, and talk radio will catch a marketplace. When we were on CBS in in Seattle, for example, I regularly beat Rush Limbaugh on the ratings because we were on a five thousand watt station and he was on a five thousand watt station. Um, it's just a it's a it's a matter of platform. Jim in Torrance, California. Hey Jim, what's on your mind? 
Hi, uh, Tom. I just wanted to share with you the response to your thoughts about why uh, Republicans, I guess, are doing so well. Is that has really every ten years is the census and the redistricting and the gerrymandering that is so critical. Yep. I don't know if it's too late this year or not, but that's that's a critical factor of why we're do, why things are the way I, they are. I am hopeful that they will be able to redo the census next year because Trump has rigged this thing. And you're absolutely right. You know, the the the, uh, the last uh, the, the last cycle, the, the 2010 cycle, um, that this is why they worked so hard to take over state after state after state. I realize, you know, Obama was president, but. But um, this is this is tough stuff. And, and this is why Pennsylvania, for example, the majority of people in Pennsylvania voted for a Democrat for Congress. And yet the majority of the Congress people coming out of Pennsylvania are Republicans. In Wisconsin, the majority of people in Wisconsin voted for Democrats for Congress. Yet the majority of the congressional delegation out of Wisconsin is Republican. This is because of gerrymandering. And those are not the only two states. Michigan also. This is the example of gerrymandering as you define, Jim. Spot on. And by the way, for those just tuning in, the, the talk radio conversations around an article that I published in thenation.com about the topic of talk radio. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The Hartman Report is a free daily podcast, seven days a week, and you can find our entire three-hour podcast over at TomHartman.com. Patrick in West Los Angeles. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Hey, Tom. Okay, so you know, I saw footage yesterday about Ron Johnson talking about in a committee and inquiring about the election and yeah, irregularities, the as you said. And, and he also summer. threw in, yeah, and he also threw in Hunter Biden. You know, just to t- just to put a cherry on top of the the thing. But you know, the response from the Democratic senator, and and they were going back and forth was, you know, it was muted at best. I mean, these senators and Congress people, they have to be prepared to fire back, you know, better yeah. than that. I, you know, yeah, Gary I mean, Peters was the only guy who really challenged him. He, I, I thought Gary Peters did a good job mm-hmm. of challenging him, but I, I would have used stronger language even than Gary Peters did. But Gary Peters is a good guy, and he's a solid progressive. He is. He is. Um, I mean, it just, it, it needed to be stronger. I mean, you, you know, it, in order for... For, you know, for people who don't know anything about the topic, who haven't paid attention to really get the message, you know, Ron Johnson's message was stronger than Gary Peters was. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it just because it he was willing to like, lie and use hyperbole. I, you know, the guy, the guy is a petulant liar. Um, and, but you couldn't tell that from the way it was coming out. He sounds as though he's believable. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Patrick. I, I want the Democratic Party to be more aggressive too. Um, and you know, hopefully we'll get there. Hey, special thanks. Thanks so much to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Jerry Lynn Halbert, uh, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabbermocky, the people who make this show possible. And you, you make this show possible. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing the show with other people. I'm constantly getting feedback that, hey, so-and-so told me. Thank you. Keep it up. Get out there. Get active. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 